So as you know, we are entering to entering a new sermon series on the holy habit of prayer. And holy habits is an adventure into Christian discipleship inspired by Luke's model of church found in the book of Acts chapter 2. It identifies 10 habits and encourages the development of a way of life formed by them. Today we begin this sermon series on the holy habit of prayer and we'll be asking this question. Can prayer really change everything? Can prayer really change everything? The American biblical scholar and pacifist Walter Winks said, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. By means of our intercessions, we are veritably casting fire upon the earth and trumpet the future into being. Have you heard of Count Nicholas Ludwig Zinzendorf? No? Well, he was an Austro-German aristocrat who lived in the 18th century. He poured his wealth and talents into advancing the gospel. And he said, I have one passion. It is he, only he, Jesus. He has been described as a noble Jesus freak. He was a bishop, a hymn writer, an architect, a pioneer, and a father of mission. But above all, he was passionate about prayer. In his early 20s, a large band of Moravian refugees arrived on his estate near Dresden in Germany. And he permitted them to build a village on his land, which they called Hernhut, which means the Lord's Watch. On the 13th of August, 1727, Zinzendorf gathered the community together because quarreling had broken out among them and he urged them to apologize to each other. When they did, the Holy Spirit came upon the entire community in an undeniable way. Inspired by Leviticus 6, verse 13, where it says, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. The Moravians believed that God was calling them to pray, and they decided to covenant together to pray continuously at allocated times throughout the day and the night. This was the birth of the 24-7 hour prayer movement and the beginning of continuous prayer which was sustained for over 100 years. Zinzendorf witnessed transformation in the people who were praying and he began sending out missionaries across the world. Hernhut became a European center for equipping and sending missionaries out into the world taking the name of Jesus, where his name had never been spoken or even heard of. The noble Jesus freak, Zinzendorf, is a model for us because of his consuming love for Jesus. And his story reminds us of the importance to pray. Why? Because prayer changes everything. 
If you forget everything else I'm about to say, remember this. Prayer changes everything. Prayer not only changes us, but it changes the world. Remember, our prayers cast fire upon the earth and bring the future into being. Prayer is powerful. So that brings us back to the passage. And before I move on to the passage, I've been to Hernhut. I've been there on mission as an intern. And I was once asked, what do you remember or what was significant about your time in Hernhut? And I would say this, there was an undeniable peace in that village. An undeniable peace in that village. Prayer had made a huge difference to the environment there. So, in our passage today, we'll be thinking about another prayer warrior, Hannah. Hannah. Hannah lived during the time of the judges, and her son Samuel would become Israel's last judge. As the nation transitioned from being a theocracy, where they relied solely on God's leading, to becoming a monarchy, where they would be led by a human king. During the period of the judges, the Israelites were in trouble because they lacked godly leadership. The priesthood appeared to be defiled. The judges became corrupted, and the law of Moses was being ignored. The king of the universe had been directing the people through his anointed priests, judges, and prophets. But now Israel would demand to have a human king as their ruler. Hannah was married to Alkana, but she had been unable to conceive. And you probably know this. In Old Testament times, childless women were seen as flawed and inferior to women who could have children. Childlessness was seen as an embarrassment for the husband, and it brought shame upon the wife. Producing children contributed to society, and under civil law, Elkanah could have divorced Hannah, but he loved her, and he didn't want to divorce her. Elkanah had married Hannah, but because at that time she was unable to conceive, he had married another wife to ensure offspring. Interesting to note that Elkanah didn't pray to the Lord about this issue, but he relied on human solutions and resources by also marrying Penina. And Penina boasted about her fertility, and she taunted Hannah relentlessly. And this was incredibly painful for Hannah. Although many male heroes in the Old Testament had more than one wife, we must know this was not God's original plan. Polygamy is not endorsed in the Bible, but it became an acceptable practice because it allowed families to produce more offspring. The nation could be strengthened because men were often killed in battle. And women who could otherwise become destitute had an opportunity for security. But 
We know from scripture that polygamy actually caused serious problems within the family life. And we see this with the story of Hannah and Penina. Hannah felt desperately unfulfilled. She felt broken by her pain. And Penina just kept rubbing it in and ridiculing her. Each year, Elkanah faithfully fulfilled his obligation to attend the tabernacle and offer sacrifices to the Lord. And on this occasion, after the sacrificial meal, Elkanah offered Hannah a double portion of the meat to cheer her up. Hannah needed more than an extra portion of meat to cheer her up. She was in despair. So, Elkanah tried again, and he said to Hannah, You have me. You have me. Isn't that better than ten sons? He had a high view of himself, I think. Basically, he does his best to cheer her up, but the reality is that Hannah needed more than human comfort. She needed God. She needed God. So, in her deep anguish, And crying bitterly, Hannah went to pray to the Lord. And she cried out to the living God in her bitterness and tears. After initially thinking she was drunk, Eli the priest realized she was not drunk. Hannah was serious. And he agreed with her in prayer. Instead of giving up hope or allowing anger to consume her, Hannah brought her problems to God in prayer and it changed everything. Are you with me? Like Hannah, we may face, you and I, may face times of barrenness when nothing comes to birth in our lives, in our working, or in our relationships. Praying in faith can be difficult when, like Hannah, we feel so alone or that God's favor seems to be upon everybody else Except us. But Hannah discovered that prayer opened the way for God to work in her life. We learn from Hannah to tell God exactly how we really feel inside. And allow God to change everything because He can. He is powerful. And he can change everything for us and for those that we love. So, has anyone ever asked you, why bother to pray? Why do Christians need to pray? Doesn't God already know what we need? Can he not be trusted to do the right thing? regardless of our prayers? Why do we even need to ask? Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, cries out to Jesus for help. You'll know the story from Luke chapter 18, verse 41. He cries out to Jesus for help. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Wasn't it obvious? He's blind. Wasn't it obvious? In a similar way, Jesus doesn't want us to just sit silently in a crowd wishing for a miracle. 
He asks us to ask him, and he invites us to articulate our needs. What do you need today? What barriers are in your life? What is hindering you, making you feel sad or depressed or anxious? Where do you need God to transform your life? Where do you need God to change things? Pete Gregg argues that God asks us to ask him for three reasons. Relationship, vulnerability, and intentionality. Firstly, the act of asking is relational. It's relational. Jesus desires friendship with us. He wants to hear your voice and see your face. He wants to hear your voice and see your face. Jesus often helped and healed people face to face because he cared and he loved them. Hannah did not hide her face, but she went to the tabernacle, the place of connecting to God, the place where she believed God would hear her and see her. Secondly, the act of asking makes us vulnerable. Jesus wants us to be honest about our condition. It shows humility when we admit our personal needs. But it also shows Jesus that we trust him with things that are deeply personal to us. Hannah opened her heart by expressing her faith through her vulnerability. We must do the same. We must be vulnerable with God and tell him, share with him what's on our heart. Thirdly, the act of asking makes us intentional. Hannah was intentional. She sought the Lord and opened her heart and asked for exactly what she longed for. God comes where he is welcomed and he waits to answer our prayers. In a similar way, just like Hannah, we should be intentional in our prayers, coming to Jesus with the belief that he can change things. Rather than being a mundane and powerless Christian duty, prayer is actually an exciting and transformational opportunity. Do you believe that? I need shaking up. Sometimes I don't believe that. Sometimes it feels like duty. But I realize, no, no, prayer is exciting. It's dynamic. It's relational. It's important and it changes everything. We are free to ask, activate, and advance God's blessing in our lives. And things change when our will and God's will align. Do you hear that? When our will and God's will align, things change. This alignment is a powerful recipe 
for change. Hannah's longing and God's will aligned. And she had a son. And that son had enormous influence on the entire nation. And that son, Samuel, fulfilled all of God's plans and purposes for him, for Hannah, and for the nation. Blaise Pascal said, God has instituted prayer to impart to his creatures the dignity of causality. Basically, God has chosen to honor humanity by allowing our prayers to make an impact on the world for God's glory. Put another way, we've been given the privilege of partnering with God in prayer and our prayers make a difference in the world. Pete Gregg describes God as the great delegator whose nature is not to dominate and control but to serve, listen and empower. God wants to serve you, listen to you and empower you. One of the greatest 20th century theologians, Karl Barth, argued that prayer exerts an influence upon God's action and even upon his existence. We cannot control God in prayer. We cannot exert our will above God's sovereign will. But this does suggest that our prayers have enormous influence upon God. When our prayers align with God's plans and purposes, things change. Wonderful things will happen when we pray. Prayer changes everything. Hannah's prayer changed everything for her and for the nation. And I'm coming into land now. Richard Foster argues that we're not locked into a preset deterministic future. We are co-laborers with God. We are co-laborers with God. We labor with him in prayer. We labor with God in prayer. Prayer is not passive. It's active. It's engaging. It's exciting. We need prayer. We need to pray. Uh, he also says that working with God, with working with God, we determine the outcome of events. When we work with God in prayer, we determine the outcome of events. And I finish with this. Do not underestimate the power of your prayers. God has given you the privilege of partnering with him. Do not underestimate the power of your prayers. So how can we remember all of this? Can prayer really change everything? Yes, it can. And it did for Hannah. And it can for you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help each one of us here to know the power of prayer. Help us to understand that prayer changes everything. 
Give us all a fresh passion to meet with you in prayer every day. Meet with us, Lord, as we commune with you, as we share our hearts with who you are. And Lord, may our wills align and may we see tremendous changes take place in our lives, in the lives of those we love and in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen.